Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. Last week when we were together, I began a um, series called Empowered, and it's loosely a series that people that are leading vineyard churches around the United States uh, have been invited to join in, but we have lots of flexibility. It's not like we're all preaching the same thing, but we have a theme. We're talking about things related to the day of Pentecost, which this year is on May 28th. So going up to May 28th, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to touch on some of that today. Pentecost, if you don't know that phrase is or that word, is the name of a Jewish festival that happened 50 days or seven weeks, seven sevens, that would be 49, on the 50th day, they celebrated something called Pentecost, and pente means 50, so that's where that name comes from. 50 after the Passover, The Passover, as most people know, is the celebration of what God did when he rescued the people of Israel out of Egypt. And after the final of ten judgments against Egypt, where God sent a man named Moses to the king of Egypt, whose title was Pharaoh, and said, let my people go that they may worship me. Pharaoh said, no. God said through Moses, well, if you don't let them go, he's going to judge you with something. And like, it's, it's going to hail right now, and it's going to destroy all your crops. And he would say, no, and then the hail would come, and then Pharaoh would say, I'm so sorry, I'll let him go, please pray for me. And Moses would say, okay, but don't harden your heart, and then it happened again, and then all of a sudden there's frogs everywhere. And that was, by the way, all of those judgments were judgments against the false gods of Egypt. They worshipped everything that came in judgment against them. One after another after another. You know this story? It's good to know your Bible. This is written in the book of Exodus, the second book in your Bible, if you don't know. Moses comes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, oh, I'm sorry, I'll let him go. Then when it's time to let them go, they're slaves, and he doesn't want to lose his slave force. He changes his mind, and then another judgment comes, and they get worse and worse. And finally, the final judgment comes, and God says, listen, tonight I'm going to slay the firstborn child and animal all throughout Egypt, but the people of God. The Israelites are going to take a lamb. They're going to butcher the lamb. They're going to take the blood from butchering the lamb and put it on the doorposts of their houses. And when the angel of death and judgment comes through Egypt, wherever he sees the blood, he will pass over. That's why it's called the Passover. Do you know this story? That's why it's called the Passover. And it happened. There was great crying. Pharaoh's own son, who was thought to be a god, lowercase g, died in that judgment. And finally Pharaoh said, okay, you may go. And the people of Israel left. The nation was formed after they left. God gave the law of Moses. You know, the old, we have the, old, the first five books of the Bible describe this whole experience. Anyway, the Jews celebrate this Passover. Jesus, the Lamb of God, died on Passover. So all of these, um, these festivals that the Jews were celebrating for like thousands of years actually were prophetic, looking forward to the Messiah. At the end of their Passover 
week, they had another festival called First Fruits, the beginning of the harvest. Jesus rose from the dead on First Fruits, the first fruits of all of those who would rise from the dead. So it all lines up over and over the wonderful stories. Fifty days later comes Pentecost, and of course, right before Jesus um, finally ascended to the Father, he told his disciples, you're going to go wait until you're empowered from on high. I'm going to send what we've been promising, what the scriptures have promised, what I've described to you. In a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You were baptized by John and water. You're about to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be empowered to be my witnesses throughout the world. So 50 days later, it happened. They were praying together, and the Holy Spirit was poured out. And on Pentecost, the church was born and the promise that the Holy Spirit would be given to people everywhere was fulfilled. So we started talking about that last week. Do you remember that? And I started describing to you from the Bible who the Holy Spirit is, not a power force, but a person. God himself, available to you. We, re we talked about him as the revealer, the revealer of truth. And one of the points we made was that Jesus has called you and me, who follow Jesus, to pursue relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we read this verse, Jesus talking, saying, I tell you, keep on asking, and you'll be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And the door is open to everyone who knocks. If you stop reading right there, you won't get what it's about. But the next sentence is, you fathers, if, you ask, if your children ask you for a fish, would you give them a snake? Or if they ask you for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? Of course not. And if simple people know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the context was keep on knocking, keep on seeking, keep on asking for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Today, I want to ask the question and look at some scripture to answer this question. Do you and I have any role to play? As we look forward to remembering and celebrating Pentecost on May 28th, as we look forward to and pray and seek for ever-increasing and experiences of a fresh infilling of the Spirit, experiencing this baptism with the Holy Spirit that happened to those people, is there something that we have a role to play? And I'm, I'm going to talk about that today. I think we do. You ready? Okay, so there'll be a lot of scripture if we make it through <laughs> all of it. And uh, it'll all show up on the screen. I, I like the Bible. It really helps me. <laughs> so I plan on reading a bit of scripture with you. And I'm telling you again, this is, this is for you if you want it. You have to come and get this. If you ask me, I will send you an email, or I would even print it out and mail it in snail mail to your house. Notes of everything I'm talking about. One person last week asked me, and I sent them to her. But I want you to know, I'm accessible. And if you're like learning, and you think, I want to have those notes again, I want to study this, come get it. It's free. But you got to want it. Lord, we're going to open the word, and we pray that you will speak to us today. We open our hearts. And we come to you in faith asking, teach us, transform us, change us. We love you, Lord. Amen. 
I, I just want to, just as we're kind of introing this topic, I want to remind you of, you could call it a vision statement that we have in our church. I, I, it used, we used to do bulletins, and you'd see it every week, so you don't see it so much anymore. But a vision is a picture of a preferred future. You know, you envision what things could be like. And the way we say it around here is the vision that we see is for everyone everywhere. Kind of a big picture, right? Everyone everywhere. Was there a movie like that? Everyone, everywhere, everything, always, or something like that. Okay, I'm stealing from that maybe. Everyone, everywhere, to know and worship Jesus in all his goodness and his glory. For everyone, everywhere, people to know and worship Jesus in all his goodness and glory. And that comes from prophecy in the Hebrew scriptures that says, the day is coming when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For that to happen, God has chosen to build an army of people like you who bring the message and the power of the good news of Jesus to their neighbors, to their friends. Some are sent around the world, some just go next door. But we're all called to be those who are part of the army of God, bringing the message and the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. To do that, you need power just like the first disciples did. You and I need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And if you read the book of Acts in your Bibles, which I would encourage you to do, you'll discover that not only was there an outpouring on the day of Pentecost, an initial baptism with the Holy Spirit that was phenomenal, and we'll read some of it, but it happened again and again. They constantly had these experiences of being freshly filled. So there is an ongoing experience of you and me being filled with the Spirit. In fact, Paul wrote to one of his churches that we should be continually filled with the Holy Spirit and not be filled with wine, being drunk, but be filled with the Spirit because we need the Spirit. You need the Spirit. I need the Spirit. So are there things we can do? Well, let's find out. Here's what happened on that Pentecost that we love to remember, the, the one 50 days after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. In Acts chapter 2, remember I just said that there's disciples, 11 remaining, Judas has committed suicide after betraying Jesus. The 11 remaining disciples, plus Mary the mother of Jesus, plus Jesus' own brothers. Did you know Mary had children after Jesus? Some of them are named in the Bible. I think there's four of them. I don't even remember. But they're there. By the way, if you want proof that Jesus is God, tell me this. Do any of you have brothers or sisters? Hello? What would it take for you to believe that your brother was God? You know your brother, and he's not God. James, the brother of Jesus, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He thought he was crazy until after the resurrection. And then he said, he is the Lord. If the brother of Jesus said he was Jesus the Lord, that's enough evidence for me. But there's a lot more. Anyway, that was for free. So they're all together. There's 120 of them, around 120. And they're in a room. Acts 2, verse 
one. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Hallelujah. Now there were stayed in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven because it's the Feast of Pentecost. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard speaking in his own language. There's still debate. Was the miracle that the people speaking were speaking in all these different languages? Or was the miracle that those heard, heard it in their own languages? Uh, we don't know. Aren't all these men speaking Galileans? Someone said that's like saying, aren't they all from Ramona? It's like they're in the hicks kind of out in the country. How is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? So Peter gets up, and I don't have time today, I wish I did, but I don't, to read the next. It's like he explains all this, but I'll just summarize. He says to them, what you're hearing is the fulfillment of an ancient prophecy through the prophet Joel. God said this, I will pour out my spirit in the end times on all people. Old men, young men, boys and girls. Servants, handmaidens, rich, poor, all people, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. And then he tells them, y'all, and there's like thousands of people listening to this sermon. You guys know that Jesus walked amongst us and God proved him to be who he said he was with signs and wonders and miracles. Yet all of you cooperated together to get him killed. And you joined with wicked men, those Romans of all people. You partnered with the Romans, the oppressive Romans against the Jews. You partnered with them and you had the Son of God killed, but he couldn't remain dead for God raised him up from the dead on the third day, demonstrating he is the Son of God. He is made him to be Lord and Christ. And he preaches this amazing message. And now I'll pick it up back in the text. After doing that, Acts 2.37, it says this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Now, I want to take you and me and put us in the seat in the shoes of the crowd. They're watching and they see this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and they're like, well, what should we do? And this, this is trying to answer this question, is there something that we should do? As we are wanting for our own Pentecost, as we're wanting to experience what they experienced. And Peter answers that very crucial question like this. Peter replied, repent. Do you know the word repent? Turn, that's right, Ramon. I'm going this way. And someone yells, you're going the wrong way. And I say, no, I want to go this way. You're going the wrong way. You're going to crash. 
And eventually I go, oh, you're right. Let me turn around and go the other way. <laughs> if you, have you ever, I was just, oh, where was I this week? Downtown, there's all these one-way streets and someone was coming out, going the wrong way on Seagays. You're going the wrong way. You're going to crash. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you, too, will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, and all who are far off in Oceanside, for all whom the Lord will call. They do repent. If we had time, we'd read this all together. I encourage you just to open up your Bibles to, for your homework this week and read Acts 2 and 3. They do repent, and a revival of historic proportions breaks out. 3,000 people that day repent, get baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit, and the church grows to 3,000 people in one day. That 120 Worried in the upper room, are they going to come after us, suddenly turning to 3,000. The revival continues. You read the next chapters, and another 2,000 are added. Very quickly, there's 5,000 people following Jesus that weren't following Jesus because of the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And remember, Jesus said, I'm going to send you to all the world. Like in a week, two weeks later, less than two weeks, the world came to them. By the way, you live in a time where the world has come to San Diego. Did you know that? Because of refugee crises around the world, the world has come to San Diego. It's in our backyard. We can talk to people from just about any nation on the planet in San Diego. That was for free, too. People that study the history of revival will say that always in great revivals, repentance is a huge component. The Church of Jesus Christ taking their hearts before the Lord and turning from things. And in fact, we sang that this morning in that, that new old song that Amy taught us. It talked about turning from sin. Now, I believe that the foundational thing that we need to repent of often, that human beings, when I say we, I mean human beings, including me, and you, is changing our way of thinking, right? Changing our way of thinking, turning away from living as though I am the Lord of my life. So that's where the title of this talk came from. I don't know if they've put up a slide yet, but it's, it says, The Throne of My Heart. Do you have that slide? The first title slide. I guess not. There it is. The throne in my heart. How the Lordship of Jesus is key to spirit-filled living. Do I say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and live with my life, Ron is Lord? Just pregnant pause. Do I say with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, but actually live like Ron is Lord? If the issue is resolved in favor of Jesus, 
all other needs for repentance will just fall in line. If Jesus is really the one who owns my life, then everything else will line up. And I think this is a real live issue for me and you. And as I'm preparing for Pentecost and praying, Lord, fill me too. Freshly fill me. Empower me. Empty out everything that gets in the way of being fully filled. This issue of who owns my life is really big. A friend of ours, many of you would know the name Henry Haney. He's been around San Diego. Worship leader impacted the worship community um, a few years back, especially with gatherings of worship around the county. He wrote a song that I was listening to on Friday that says this line, In my heart there's an altar and a throne. I know where I belong. I know where I belong. In my heart there's an altar and a throne. I don't belong on the throne. I belong as a living sacrifice on the altar. Jesus belongs on the throne. And in simple terms, this is the key to abundant living. If you're listening to me and your life sometimes seems like it's crashing over and over, things keep breaking, relationships keep crumbling, it's possible that Jesus is not on the throne of your life. So here's a key verse for today. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Who's in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. What's the price? The precious blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. If you follow Jesus, you looked in faith to him, he has purchased you with his lifeblood. Purchased me with his lifeblood. I am not my own. Therefore, honor God with your body. I think this next sentence I gave to the guys to put on the screen. Let's see. I prepare for Pentecost. I prepare for a fresh infilling of the Spirit by remembering that I am not my own. I've been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. I belong to the Lord. That's the sermon in a sentence, or two sentences. That's what we need to learn. To, that's what I felt like I'm supposed to teach us today. And I'll, I'll start opening up some more scriptures about this. But I can prepare for the coming Pentecost. I can prepare for being freshly and filled with the Spirit this week and in coming weeks by remembering I'm not my own. I've been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. I belong to the Lord. And let me say this, belonging, ownership, lordship can be described in terms of my time, my talent, and my treasure. My time, my talent, and my treasure. My time belongs to the Lord. How I spend my time really belongs to the Lord. It's been something I've been given. It's something I've been given to spend. How I spend it ought to be determined by the one who's reigning in my heart. My talents, my abilities, my strengths, they belong to the Lord to use as he desires, if I belong to the Lord. 
If I thought that my talents, my strengths, and my abilities belonged to me to be spent in pursuit of my appetites and my desires, which most Americans live like, then I'm back on the throne. But if I want to know what I need to repent of, it's living as though I get to use my time, my talent, and my treasure to pursue my appetites. And I don't if I belong to the Lord. And the deception is that, and this is Satan's deception from the beginning, by the way. This is always the deception. If you pursue your appetites and your desires apart from God, you'll be fulfilled. It's always the lie. The truth is, if you will pursue Jesus as first, as Lord of your life, with your time, your talent, your treasure, just to make it simple, then you will find fulfillment because you were created by God for God so that when we live our lives rooted in Him, flourishing from Him, daily finding our purpose and our, our um, appointments, our time, what we are, our decisions are made, our guidance, our supply, our resource, everything from Him. If we live rooted in Him, then we will find abundant living. If we try to live on our own apart from God, we will not find abundant living. Everything makes sense when we understand that. It's, it's actually quite simple. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So, can I just walk through some of these thoughts? Boy, this guy talks a lot, doesn't he? <laughs> my treasure is my money. So that's the simplest one. And can I, can I just say that as far as I can understand and as far as people writing and teaching for the last thousands of years understand, God has ordained something called the tithe, that the first 10% of all my income, God put in my hands as a steward for him to spend on his church, to take care of his wife. And that if I take the money that God said, I want you to give that to take care of my bride, and I spend it on me, the Bible says I'm robbing God. Oh, he's talking about tithing. Maybe he should move on. <laughs> so you're suddenly quiet and uncomfortable. It's my understanding that that's what the Bible says. And I could take a long time to open scriptures and describe that. That's 10%. But the truth is, all of my resources belong to him. And he's entrusted them to me. He's just directed specifically that first 10%, give that to my church. And then we're going to talk about the other 90%. You're going to enjoy a lot of it, but I'm going to tell you to give some of it to other stuff, too. Because it's my money. It's my money, God says. It's my money. I'm letting you manage it. And if you want to have joy with your money, let God manage it. If you want to have trouble with your money, you manage it. If you want to have abundant supply, let him manage it. If you want to have lack, you manage it. He's faithful, isn't he? So in that, you know, that, that thing where the people of Israel always fought with God about this. And many times the whole structure of worship in the temple would come to a dead stop because the people would stop bringing their tithes. It happens lots of times in the Bible. Read about Hezekiah, round about 1 Chronicles 31. It's all shut down. 
And then they repent and they start tithing. One of those times, God sent his prophet Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, and said, look, you guys, you're robbing me. Test me in this. It's the only place where God says, test me. If you will bring the full tithe, that first fruits, your 10% to my storehouse, see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't even contain. Test me in this. Okay, that's treasure. There's a lot more. Just know that my money belongs to God, and I would do well to not spend it all on pursuit of my appetites and desires, and I really would do well not to become a slave to debt. Uh-oh, now he's talking to Americans. Americans have been given um, a play on words to trap us. We have in our pockets something called credit cards. They should really be called debt cards because they don't put you in credit, they put you in debt. Do you know that? And, and the word debt should be an acronym, D-E-B-T, that means this, don't even buy that. Because if, you don't, if I don't have the money to buy the thing that I desire, I'm very foolish to go borrow money to buy the thing that I desire. Because now in the future, my income will be paying for the thing that I borrowed to have the thing that I wanted. So now, when someone comes and says, I have need, I have to say, oh, my bills are too big. And when I mean bills, I mean paying my debt for what I bought that I shouldn't have bought because I shouldn't have even bought that because I didn't have the money to buy it. So I pulled out my debt card and said, charge it. Okay, well, <laughs> that's a whole sermon on it to itself. But the debtor is slave to the lender. And we Americans live in a whole culture that's built on advertising for things that we don't need but that we think we want and that we should go in debt to have them. And I'm just saying, Christians, be free and get out of debt and don't spend God's tithe on your appetites or it won't go well for the church or for you. But I don't want to go any more than that. So I, just let me say this. I am a steward, a manager, over everything that God has given me authority to make decisions about. My time, my talent, my treasure. I'm a steward. And I will one day give an account to God for that. Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember... You must give an account to God for everything you do. When I'm living in the kind of repentance that I'm talking about, I will believe I have a mindset that's been shifted to say, everything that I get to make a decision about actually belongs to God. I'm his steward. And I need to check in with him before spending my time, my talent, my treasure on something that he might not want. That level of repentance affects all of my life. So it's foundational and it's easy to remember. A lot of people in our culture are sinning sexually. If we believe the word of God that my body, in fact, the text that I read is speaking specifically about not using our body sexually in ways that God said that won't be good for you. What he has said is, I've given you sex for marriage so that two can become one. And if you will enjoy sex in marriage, you will be blessed. But if you take it outside of marriage, 
it will be a problem for you. So I'm saying, don't do that. If I believe that my body is not my own, but it's God's, then I won't use my body sexually in ways that God doesn't say I should. And, oh, did I just, did I get too, like, personal? You, you okay? Oh, Ron, now you're, like, being, that's hate speech. I'm kidding. Two sides of belonging. One, I find myself in meaningful relationship. I belong. I belong to a family. Two, I've made Jesus my Lord. He owns my life. I belong to him. So I want to take some time here to look at those two sides. How are you guys doing? Okay, you seem like you're alive. Okay. So some of the privileges of finding my place as I belong to a family, I belong to God. I have the name and heritage of Jesus Christ himself. I, because I belong to him, one of the privileges is I have the name and heritage of belonging to Jesus' name. 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen people. You belong, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you weren't even a people, but now you're the people of God. You belong. And once you've not received mercy, now you've received mercy. Look at this. Peter talking about suffering. 1 Peter 4, 16. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you Bear the name. So one of the privileges is I bear the name and heritage of Jesus. Another one is that we have the authority of the name of Christ. Jesus describes this in the last verses of Mark. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. We have the name and the authority of Jesus. They'll drive out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll even uh, encounter snakes and they won't be hurt by them. That You read about that when Paul was bit by a snake and he just shook the snake off. It was poisonous. It didn't even bother him because God protected him. They'll place their hands on sick people. They'll get well. When Peter and John were brought before the leaders of Israel because they'd healed a man, and uh, he was standing before them, paralyzed man. And then they preached the name of Jesus. They said, you shouldn't preach the name of Jesus. You're trying to put the blood of Jesus on us. He said this. By what power or by what name did you do this? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way, filled with the Holy Spirit freshly, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and ask how he was healed, then know this and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. So we, the privilege is we have the authority and the name and the heritage of Jesus. We have the strength and the care of the body of Christ because we belong. Here's Ecclesiastes 4.9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We belong to the body of Christ, and we have the strength of that. Galatians 6, carry each other's burdens. This way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Because of time, I'm going to 
skip over some of the stuff so projector guys just know that. Um, here's some responsibilities of belonging. One, we've said it before, we belong to Jesus. Romans 1.6, you also are among those who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. Romans 14, none of us lives to himself alone. None of us dies to himself alone. But whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So because we belong to Christ, he becomes the priority of our living. That's something I need to repent of if I've not made Christ the priority of my living, but I've made me and my appetites the priority of my living. I need to repent of that so that I can be filled freshly with the Holy Spirit. Another part is that we belong to each other in the body of Christ. That gets a little more personal. But this is what the Bible teaches. Romans 12, 3 through 8, starting at verse 4, actually. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, who are many, form one body, one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I need you, and you need me. But I don't like it that way. Well, you didn't design it. And you don't belong to yourself. You belong to the Lord. And he said that you belong to me and I belong to you. That changes everything when I realize that the way I spend my life needs to be in the context of the fact that I'm not, I'm not the Lord on the throne. He's the Lord on the throne. And he said that I belong to you. Wow. Well, if we live that way, we will live flourishing lives. We will be filled with the Spirit, and the world around us will see something very unusual, because no one in the world has this, that people belong to each other and serve each other and love each other and care for each other and pray for each other and give resources to each other and build each other up. When that happens, it's such a beautiful community that it's engaging and attractive to the world around us. That's how the Roman Empire was turned upside down because the Christians would willingly give their lives for each other and no one else was doing it. And they would even give their lives for those that were not in Christ and it changed the Roman Empire. We belong to each other and need each other to be a healthy body. Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, we will all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ, from him the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds each other up, builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Did you follow that? You belong to me, I belong to you, we belong to each other, and this is how we have a healthy body. And when we don't belong to each other, the health of the body is at stake. We belong to each other and need each other to accomplish God's missions for us. And I, I have more scripture there, but I, I, I've run out of time, so I won't share that with you. But I, I'll just say a few more points. And these are all just built right out of the Bible. We belong to Jesus. We belong to each other. And because of that, we willingly give up our own rights in order to bring people to Christ. We spend our lives to help others find him so that the earth be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We belong to the kingdom.
so we make the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, priority in our lives. We belong to Jesus. We belong to each other. We give our lives for the world. We belong to his kingdom. Is there something that we do to prepare for the infilling of the Spirit, to prepare for Pentecost? Yes. We take a look at our lives and we repent. We turn away just fundamentally from living as though I'm my Lord. I live as Jesus is on the throne of my life. And everything I do, I'm saying this as preaching to myself, this is what I need to do. I'm, I'm hearing the sermon too, okay? And I'm being convicted, and I'm repenting of some things. I need to live so that my entire life, my time, my talent, and my treasure are under the lordship of Jesus. When I live that way, everything changes, and I'm prepared as I seek him for my own Pentecost and my own fresh infilling of the Spirit so that I can live abundant living, so that I can participate in the mission and the purposes of Jesus in my world today because I'm part of his army and I need the equipping of the Spirit of God. Let's stand together and um, respond to the Lord. Perhaps you're here and you are thinking about your life and how you need to respond to the Lord so that you can have Pentecost, so that you can have a fresh infilling of the Spirit. And I would encourage you right now to talk with Jesus about that, to talk with the Father about that, to talk with the Spirit. Father, I want to be fully yours. I've said with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. I want to make that reality. I invite you, God, to examine my life and show me where I've spent my time, my talent, and my treasure as though I'm Lord so that I can turn toward you and let you be the Lord. I want to be filled with your Spirit. I want nothing in my life to be in the way of the fullness of your spirit in me. I want to be empowered by you to be your son, to be righteous because you've made me righteous, to be empowered so that I walk and live like Jesus himself. Fill me this season with your spirit, O oh God. And if you, I should back up before that kind of prayer, if you're hearing me and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, that's the doorway into real life. You've got to walk through that door where you ask Jesus to come in and take his place. Say yes to Jesus. I believe you are the Son of God who died to wipe away my sins, who rose from the dead to bring new life to me. I believe you are Lord, and I'm asking you, be my Lord.
I receive you this day, Jesus. If, if you pray a prayer like that today, or you have recently, because I lead you in a prayer like that week after week. If you have recently done that, a next step for you is to be baptized in water. Would you please get the gumption up to talk to me or Pastor Steve? And we'll set up a time. We'll take you down to the ocean and we will dunk you. <laughs> and we'll have a baptism party. If you've never been baptized, it's time, folks. Let's get serious about this. Let's get serious about Jesus, about being his people, and stop fooling around. There's a world that is in trouble. It's confused and it's dying fast. The answer is not in anything but in Jesus, and it's through his people, his church. We need to be filled with the Spirit and our mouths filled with his words so that we can bless and help and encourage restore broken lives. Lord, make us a people that restore broken lives. If the people that pray for folks can make your way to the front. Folks, uh, the, the worship band is going to lead us in some worship music. We're going to be officially sort of done. You can stay around if you're not done and worship some more. Get some prayer. Come and ask the people up front to lay hands on you. If your body needs healing, let them pray over you. You might just find healing today. That's pretty cool. If you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, let them pray their hands on you and pray that you would receive the fresh infilling of the Spirit. Whatever brokenness you have, come and get prayer, but engage with the Lord right now. God bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face to shine upon you and give you rest. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.